0: great to see you here see you avoided a bit of the frost this is the i said to the early service they were the spiritual service they were going to get into heaven first because they were here when it was like six degrees but uh, we're the clever service so we'll get into heaven through the side door or something like that (laughs) just having a dig at you okay nehemiah we're in the nehemiah series week two vision in action and uh last week we looked at Nehemiah and Nehemiah is a man of prayer and, uh, and fasting and he sought God and had compassion for his nation and that compassion moved him to very practical action. And so the story's just begun to unfold and, and we are looking at a chapter of the Bible a week at the moment. Don't know whether that'll continue, but are you ready for another whole chapter? Yeah. Is it okay if we read the Bible in church? Five of us are ready for that. Is it okay if we read the Bible in church? Yeah. And I think that we can handle a bit of the Word. And, uh, and look, uh, most of the time I think I try and preach on an inspirational bent. This is a little bit more teaching. Is that okay? Yeah. Where we just sort of teach and we're going to teach uh, these principles. And of course, we've just finished a series generally on stirring our hearts for vision. And I pray that through that, so there's a bit of vision in some of our hearts. Got a bit of a plan, got a bit of a thought for how things should be in our lives and around us. And um, and so when we look at Nehemiah, we're looking at a guy who's living it. He's doing it. This is not just a disconnected sort of spiritual principle out there. But as we look at the life of Nehemiah, we see what this looks like in real time. That's why I love the study of Nehemiah and why I feel like we need to cover so much uh, and read so much of the scripture so that we stay in this story as much as possible. Now, I'm not going to be preaching everything that you could, I guess, out of chapter 2, but I'm grabbing some of the high points that I think will be relevant for us for vision and action. Great. And Nehemiah, uh, he, his story unfolds between 444 BC and 430 BC. This is a story, the whole book of Nehemiah covers about 14 years. And it's the book itself is divided into two distinct Uh, uh, halves and we're really going to focus on the first half during this series and maybe we'll return at a different date and look at later things but uh, that's where we're at he's a cupbearer in the king's court serving the king of Persia which had been the occupying nation literally that had annexed Israel and uh, he's serving there and this is where his story kind of intersects everyone's story no matter who you are because interestingly some of his contemporaries are people like Ezra the priest which was I don't like to put it this way but for the sake of understanding I'll put it this way it was a formalized ministry position being a priest in the house of God and he also served his contemporary a prophet that spoke into this very season is the prophet Malachi last book uh, in in the scripture and uh and Malachi, of course, is a prophet. So he's got like a formalized ministry position in that sense. Where our story overlaps with Nehemiah's, remember when I spoke about vision, when I introduced this whole concept of vision? This is not about a particular church vision, or this is just about us. This is about us getting something in our hearts for our lives and and how our families, how our lives, how our business, how our whatever should look. And God using us, putting something in our heart that pulls us into our future and affects people all around us. Just like Jesus said, you're going to be salt and light. Well, this is sort of where it intersects because Nehemiah doesn't have like a formalized ministry position, for want of a better word. Nehemiah is a governor serving in a totally secular environment under the king of Persia. And so uh, what I love about this, because, of course, Nehemiah prays, he's he's a man of God in that position. He prays, he seeks God, he gets heavenly vision. And even though he is in totally, you know, within a, a different system as such, He gets vision that affects people uh, and affects his country and advances the purposes of God, which says to us, you don't need some sense of formalized position to be used by God. God wants to use each and every one of us. He's a governor. He's a guy, you know, in in one sense, that's what he goes to become. But what he starts out as is this cupbearer in the king's court and then he eventually is used to govern and lead his nation into restoration. And, uh, and God calls him in that position. So I love that because what it means is wherever you are, wherever we are placed throughout society, that is ministry. There is no delineation between the secular and the sacred. There's no delineation between like the natural and the spiritual. Everything is spiritual. And everything is a ministry when you do it unto God. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Who thinks that's pretty cool? Yeah. Well, that's where we're going to pick up the story. So we finished last week in our chapter 1, the last phrase of chapter 1, where Nehemiah says, I was the king's cupbearer and i said last week there's a fair bit of courage involved in this but we would get to it so today we're going to start there and we're going to get to it picking up the story chapter two verse one through to the first half of verse four says in the month of nisan in the 20th year of king artaxerxes when wine was brought for him i took the wine and gave it to the king and then he says i had not been sad in his presence before So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? You know, we talked about bravery in approaching the king. Just a little bit of background for us to understand this. A cupbearer in the ancient world and most ancient cultures recognize this write about it this is not just a bible thing even though it is in the bible it's in greek mythology it's in a lot of histories of ancient peoples the cupbearer to the king was a very trusted position as i mentioned last week because as the cupbearer to the king you were there to thwart any assassination attempt that might come through what the king drank uh, poisoning people was the thing in the ancient worlds probably still is today but it was a big thing back then it was one way you could get to someone was to poison what they drank and so nehemiah's role would have been most likely to test and taste the wine and risk his own life to make sure that the king was safe this is his place but that wasn't the only uh you know so he was trusted but that wasn't the only thing you had to have to serve in the king's court to serve in the king's court it was to be a place of beauty you were actually chosen because you looked aesthetically pleasing that your attitude was sharp that your thinking was clear and that you added joy in the presence of the king to actually not bring joy into the presence of the king was to risk your own life and that is what he's doing his role description was you will test the wine you'll make sure that no one can get to the king you'll be happy and joyful and bright you will be his bright spark in his day would have been his job description and the job description of everyone in that court and here here is Nehemiah stepping out in faith and with courage allowing the king to see the true state of his heart remember last week he'd heard a bad report or he'd heard a report that the the Jerusalem lay in ruin and so now he's letting the king see his feelings and obviously because the king respected him and he had won a certain place in the king's heart the king doesn't react badly but says what do you want which is a really powerful thing i tell you for us it's huge for him to have done that but it's daunting for us too you know when sue and i were first pastoring um uh and we'd be we'd go to a conference and there'd be people there you know other leaders and pastors That were doing phenomenal work and that we knew that if we could connect with them, they could help us on our journey, etc. But I remember the first few years how daunting it was. As a matter of fact, I was really, really bad at it. I just I could not go and approach someone because I thought they would not want to know me. They would not want me to interrupt their important lives. That was kind of my thinking. And then I had a good friend say to me, They're people just like you, for goodness sake. Cross the room. And I learnt to cross the room and ask what i needed you know jesus said you have not because you ask not and right here we see nehemiah breaking out of his you know whatever fear he might have had and it just makes me wonder how often how many great visions have potentially been thwarted because our own insecurities our own fears our own fear of being misunderstood even stops us from crossing the room and connecting with the person we need to connect with. Yeah. I wonder how many, can I encourage us, get out of that mindset. You're worth meeting. Yes. You're worth meeting. I, I got to a point where I thought, uh, of course people need to meet me. I'm Chris Mulhair, BA, born again, that, that my only sort of, that my only qualifications. But it was, I had to get to a point where it was like, you know what, I am worth meeting too. And then I found that what my friend said is true. They're people just like you trying to do their best. They're not superstars, but they might have what you need for the next part of your journey. And that's where we see it. So don't let that be you. Paul says this to the Corinthians, and I love it in the message translation, 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 13. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide-open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way, and I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection, open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. What Paul is saying is, come on, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let smallness limit you but from connecting with the kind of people that you need to connect with that will be a friend of your future and take you where God wants you to go. Yeah. Don't let that smallness of heart or fear, because it's a real thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. It's a real thing that can shut you down. And yet Nehemiah stepped out and he took his life in his hands to connect with the resource that he needed to take his vision forward. And verse 4 is interesting just as a quick aside. The very next thing it says, Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. He Actually, the king asks him, What do you want me to do? And he stops and prays. Have you noticed that this is a pattern everywhere we've looked so far when it comes to vision? That just keeping it before God, keeping what you've got in your heart Christ-centred is one of the absolute critical facets of fulfilling heavenly vision. So, you know, right here, he could have just gone, well, I know, I've got a good idea. Well, you'll see by his request, he's incredibly bold what he asked for. And for me, just personally, I think he had to pray again. just to get the boldness to ask for what he knew he needed to ask for. But right the way through, we've looked at this. Remember Abraham? Everywhere he went, where he took a shift in his vision on his journey, he stopped and he built an altar and he worshipped and he prayed and he sought God. He just kept God at the centre of his vision. And how many people start off with something great in their heart, And maybe sometimes even the vision gets momentum and it's enthusiastic and it's exciting. And even for me, I can tell you, it is easy at that point to unhook from God without even realising it. Because the vision's now got a life of its own. And it's just critical that we keep bringing Jesus back to the centre of everything that's in our heart. Amen? You got all quiet on me there. Verse 6. Can we race through this i've got more points than a porcupine this morning so we've got to keep moving okay so this is like a bible study reading a whole chapter okay then the king with the queen sitting beside him asks me how long will your journey take and when will you get back it pleased the king to send me so i set a time here's here's the first principle clear time frames you want to fulfill vision you want to see vision in action Clear time frames, you know it's been really really well said that a goal without a timeline is just a dream, I don't actually like to use the just a dream thing because I think it plays plays the dream down, I think dreaming is awesome, I'd rather put it this way, a goal without a timeline is just a wish. In other words, it's just wishful thinking. It's got no power in it. But the moment you put a timeline on it, it begins to hold you accountable to it. And I wonder sometimes whether we don't set goals because we don't want to be unrealistic. You go to set a goal and say, oh, but I don't want to be unrealistic and I don't want to disappoint myself. Can I tell you, if you actually want to head towards something and you don't set a goal, you will disappoint yourself. Now, if you set a goal and you don't make the goal, You can always shift the goal, but I guarantee you that goal will hammer on you and keep you moving towards the fulfillment of vision. Goal setting is a very important element of of vision fulfillment. Okay, verse 7 through 9. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. He's actually asking the king for the stuff to build his own house here. Um, And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, is the next thing he says, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me it's really really interesting there's a few things in this that I'd like to pick up on Um, and uh, the the, the overall thought is we need to preempt predictable issues preempt predictable issues because this is what Nehemiah is actually doing but I just want to take one little aside before we get into that I love it how he said because the gra- he recognized this is because the hand of god the gracious hand of my god is upon me i'm trusting that these things will happen i'm trusting that the king will receive me i'm trusting that i'll get these letters and that people will fulfill the order because god is with me in this and that is repeated again and again in the early chapters of the book of nehemiah his dependence on god okay let's get to the point preempt predictable issues in other words know the environment you're going into he was going into a hostile environment this is a a land that has been ravaged by war after war invasion after invasion and it is a kaleidoscope of competing agendas and violence that's what he's going into and so he preempts that also he um he knows he's going to need things for the vision to be fulfilled and he knows the king has the resources. And so he goes to the king. He's preempting the issues rather than getting down there, looking at the place and going, gee, it would have been handy to bring a letter from the king. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I tell you what, so many people's lives, their energy, their focus, their emotional quotient is, is not spent on the vision that takes them forward. They, they haven't preempted things that were probably obvious And they spend most of their energy and their time trying to fix things from their past. Poor relationship decisions, poor financial decisions, poor decisions of all things that were probably foreseeable, truth be told. Nehemiah knew he was going back into a land that had been ravaged with war. He knew he needed a guard. He knew he needed letters. He knew he needed these things. And so he preempted what would be a definite issue for him. And as much as we should, we should try and make quality decisions that preempt issues so that the bulk of our energy in life can actually go toward our future rather than trying to just fix the foibles of the past. So what are the issues you know you face? Because I'm figuring that some of us have got a bit of vision by now. I'm figuring we've got a bit of vision I tell you what well the moment you see vision you sort of know what your issues are you you pretty well know i I know what's going to hold me out i know i know what the barriers are you can actually be preemptive think now what do i need to do to begin overcoming some of those things a great example for nehemiah is in verse 10 if you continue the story it introduces a couple of characters that are going to become prominent in the next couple of chapters it says, when Sanbalet the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, that he was coming to rebuild Jerusalem, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And these guys, Sanbalet, Tobiah, and later on another figure will be introduced called Gershom, these were all regional governors who'd got a piece of the pie after Persia had invaded. They were actually traditional enemies they represented traditional enemy tribes of Israel and they've been given authority to govern so they actually have very real power in the region around uh, Jerusalem and so when they hear someone's coming for the welfare of Jerusalem they're like we need to keep that place in ruins and they become or try and become a thorn in, uh, in Nehemiah's side right from this point here's the thought for us So. We have traditional enemies. We all do. They're the things that have always shot us in the foot. (laughs) Generally our own foibles, but not limited to that. But often we've got things that have been an ongoing issue whenever we try and get momentum and move towards vision for our life, move towards a preferred tomorrow. Often it's the same things that shoot us in the foot. You know, sometimes it's just the way we're spoken to. For some people, it's really hard to overcome the voice of a negative parent, even from beyond the grave, where it's like, you you know, you'll never do that. I don't trust you to do anything. I don't trust you to get that right. And it actually can make you second-guess yourself whenever you go to launch out, because you're really thinking i've never been able to get this right i've been told i'm useless i'm beginning to believe it you know for young people here today there's a a term i preached on a couple of weeks ago it was part of a message and i researched but there's this term called frenemies frenemies is a thing who would have thunk it (laughs) frenemies is a good english there frenemies is a thing and what's a frenemy a frenemy is someone that You think as a friend and you let them into your world, but they're actually toxic. They actually poison the waterhole. They're actually not a friend of your future. They might need you for now, but they're not a friend to your future. And, you know, for some of us, maybe for some of us, vision fulfilment has been a matter of actually getting the right people around us instead of actually allowing the wrong kind of attitudes and the wrong kind of thinking to continuously speak into our lives. Hey, be friends to everyone, but be very careful who you allow in to your inner world. And for some people, that, that's just a traditional enemy. The need for acceptance or whatever has made, yeah. made it impossible to make the kind of decisions you need to make to go forward. Uh, social media pressure and judgment, the comparison trap. You know, maybe it's you. Maybe you, your traditional enemy, (laughs) your own worst critic, nagging away on the inside continuously, telling yourself all the reasons it will never be and it could never be you. Whatever it is, you've got to overcome, you've got to confront traditional enemies. It could be something as practical, as I mentioned before, as poor financial management and you've just never been able to launch vision-wise you can never resource it and can i tell can i just say this to that honoring god with your finance is not a get rich quick squ- scheme yeah. but failing to honor god with your finance is white anting your own future yeah. Yeah. at some point you've got to make quality decisions as to what you do with your finances verse 11 and 12 you're doing all right yeah. doing all right got two minutes for four points Let's see how we go. Verse 11 and 12. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Remember Joseph told his half brothers it went really bad? You've got to be so careful when you share your vision. There was no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And by night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. Don't you love it? The jackal well and the dung gate. Don't you love those terms? Examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire and then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool but there was not enough room for my mount to get through so I went up the valley by night examining the wall finally I turned back re-entered through the valley gate here's another thought another clear thing that we have to do realistic assessment You've got to know what you face. You've got to know the realities of your situation. You know, for example, if you go like, I have a dream to be the Prime Minister of Australia. Well, you'd better realistically assess the kind of education and the kind of experiences you might need in life to ever be a contender. Because without doing that, it is just a wish. It's no more than that. And here, Nehemiah, it's, it's sort of like when you navigate, number one rule of navigation, if you can possibly get it right, is to find your way anywhere, you've got to know where you are. Yeah. You've got to know where to start in that sense. And so this is exactly what he's doing. And uh, he's riding, just think, he's riding through these streets of this burnt-out city. And there's places where he can't even get his horse. He can't even... He can't get his horse through probably because of collapsed rubble in the streets, etc. He's doing it by night. He's doing it clandestinely. And I can't imagine the stark reality hitting you any more than maybe riding around on a bit of a moonlit night or whatever it was and just seeing the destruction that has now been there for over a hundred years. And it's like, my goodness, this place is a mess. But he took a realistic assessment and he stared the problem in the face. And I think often we don't want to stare our issues in the face. We're worried we'll be discouraged and we won't see anything but problems. But can I just encourage you to see beyond the issues to what should be. This is what vision is. If you can see the problem, you can get the vision. If you walk past, you know, parents, you know this, you walk past a kid's room and it's a mess. The instant you see the mess, you also see how it should be. Yeah. Those toys should be in that box and that thing should be on the shelf and that rug should be over there. And, and, you, and Instantly, if you can actually do a realistic assessment, it's brilliant because it actually tells you this is what needs to happen. It gives you a plan. It gives you an understanding. If you can see the problem, you can see vision through the problem to what it should be. Remember, vision is a clear mental image of a preferred tomorrow and here he is doing it okay two more thoughts the officials did not know where i'd gone or where i was or what i was doing because as yet i'd said nothing to the jews or the priests or the nobles anyone who was going to do the work but then he says this and this is brilliant this is vision casting this is gathering support for the vision He said, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me. There it is again. And what the king had said to me, and they replied, let us start building. So they began this good work. I love it. This is vision casting 101 this is how to communicate your vision and sometimes you just need to communicate it to yourself you know basically the problem the opportunity and the benefit here's where it's at here's what we could do and this is what the result would be and you might say well i'm not trying to rebuild a city wall i'm not trying i don't know how that relates to me think about it in your marriage honestly instead of saying to your spouse Or thinking to yourself well this week's gonna suck like last week did the ability to sit down and say you know what I think we've got some communication issues you know what I I think that uh, the way we're parenting is is we've got to change our modus operandi what we're doing with our finance whatever it is but i'm going to sit down with you let's talk about the realities that we face but then let's talk about the opportunity of what we could create and determine to do this differently determined to get it better and to make it better because if we did this is how we could be living that's vision casting and we need to do it on every level of our life even if we're just articulating it for ourselves, young person If you need to break the web of frenemies, cast a vision for it. By the end of this year, I'm going to be surrounded by people who are friends to my future in an environment that is anything but toxic. And this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to make some tough calls, some tough decisions. I'm going to walk away from some conversations and I'm going to find the kind of people who empower my future any area of your life these principles can be applied to vision casting is a powerful thing and lastly i'm going to skip down to verse 20. he's challenged by his existing realities he's mocked he's ridiculed in verse 19 by Tobias, Sanballat and Gershom and then in verse 20 he says i answered them by saying the god of heaven will give us success we, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or historic right to it. And I'm going to look at that passage, which is an interesting passage, a little bit later. But the final thought is standing strong in faith. You know, it's it's great to talk about getting vision and praying, keeping God at the center of it, and realistic assessments and goal setting and time frames. All of that is practical stuff. But I tell you what, if you're headed towards something with the sense that god wants you to get there god wants my my personal life to look this way god wants my business life my career life whatever it is i believe god wants me to head in this direction my ministry expression and how i'm going to touch others lives this is what i've got in my heart if you're going to move toward that it's going to come to a point where there's only one thing left you can do and that's the stand in faith and that's what he did in the face of ridicule, in the face of very real physical danger and all the difficulties of this broken city, he just stands in faith and he declares, we're gonna rebuild this because God is with us. I'm just gonna stick with it. And that's something, as as I said, Sue and I have learnt again and again and again. People come and go, seasons come and go, opportunities come and go. Sometimes you just have to stand. You just have to turn up to see your vision begin to crystallize, begin to come to pass, begin to be fulfilled. Sometimes that's all you can do. Come on, have you got courage to stand for what you believe God has put in your heart? I'm gonna ask us a couple of quick questions, then we're gonna stand together. Have you thought about timeframes for your vision? Have you made a realistic assessment of what needs to change? If applicable, are you effectively casting your vision? You know, on the simplest level, like for a life group leader, there's a huge difference turning up to a life group where the leader says, you know what? We're here to grow. We're here to reach our friends. We're here to do the one thing Jesus told us to do. There's a big difference between that and, well, here we are again and I'm not sure what we're doing. It's really easy to cast vision. What is the opportunity? What could be? And finally, will you stand strong in faith to see it fulfilled? Will you stand strong in faith to see it fulfilled? No matter what comes my way, I'm going to see a breakthrough. I'm going to see a breakthrough in my marriage, in my finances, in my business, in my career path, in my motherhood, fatherhood, whatever it is. Come would you stand with me this morning? Stand with me this morning. Come on, are you ready for that? You ready to stand? Ready to go for it? Ready to make some plans? Set some goals? Do some realistic assessments? Sue is. Pastor Sue's right with me on the front row. Come on, let's just look away to to God. Father, we thank you. Help us to be visionary people. Help us to be vision-led people. Help us to be people that no matter where we're engaged in life, we can see clear mental images of a preferred tomorrow. We can see things the way they should be. And we can move towards them in faith in spite of resistance or in spite of you know, old issues. We can just keep moving forward until we see you do amazing things in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.